you know, I just don't feel right up here. I'm going to come down there. I like to be close to you guys. The reason that when I was contemplating speaking today, the reason it was easy to say yes to the Lord was the fact that I was speaking to you people. And you guys have all been such a part of my life. Um, and I love this body. And uh, I appreciate what Keith and what Tim has shared. We, um, we certainly are at a point where I don't feel like we've ever been more united than we are right now. Um, but it doesn't come without without challenges. So the, the text that um, God had brought me to was the second chapter of, of Philippians, which just has so much to say to us, I believe, as we, as we start this, this new year. And I think um, it's fair to say that for many of us these last days, we've, we've uh, spent some time reminiscing over the last year. We've uh, considered some of our some of our successes as well as our disappointments, and we've all had our share of, of both, I, I hope. Um, and I believe, you know, God calls us to, to give account for what's in the past. Um, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, though, the book of Ecclesi Ecclesiastes reminds us, though, that um, all these things really don't add or subtract anything that God is doing. So um, the thing we can do with the past is we, uh, we can remember this truth. Um, the sovereignty of God and his, his purposes is meant to and should bring all of us to a humble reverence and awe of him and the grace that he continually pours out on us. Most importantly, as believers, I think it's a great reassurance knowing that when we've confessed our sin, God reaches back to the past and he settles all the claims against our consciences. Thank you, Father. What a, what a great joy that is to remember. As I said, our text today is found in the second chapter of Philippians. And to me, it's a, it's a simple message. It's one that as I read it, I thought, you know, I can just wing it, just shoot from the hip, and this would be easy. But um, I owe God's word more respect, and I certainly wouldn't want my wife to know that I was going to do that as detailed <laughs> as she is. She'd, she'd really have anxiety. <laughs> I don't blame her. Um, but it's a great text to read. And to meditate on as one considers our walk with Jesus as we begin this new year. And it raises some good questions for all of us to ponder on. So let's, let's read that. Let's read that together. <coughs> Second Philippians, the first seven chapters of chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, 
having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Before we go any further, let's, um, let's pray. Oh God, as we, as we consider your word today, we appreciate the truth and power of it how it speaks wisdom and discernment into every heart, and we pray that that would be the, the case today. Clear the baggage of the world out, and we desire to make room for you, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. So as we consider the text, I think it raises... As I said, some good questions for all of us to ponder on today. Am I an encourager? Do I show affection and sympathy? Do I have a cooperative spirit? I think it would be good to note that our our writer, the Apostle Paul, is not here implying that the Philippians don't possess these qualities, nor am I for this body. He uses a conditional sentence with an if, provoking them to reflect on whether or not these qualities are present in their lives. He's asking them to take some time and to think about it. So am I today for each of us. Might I say, though, that what attracted me to Elam decades ago was the multitudes of encouragement and love that this body just extended to me. And I still feel that's vibrantly alive here today. But as we start this new year, rather than um, looking back, let's look at today, both individually and corporately, at Elam, soon to be Highland Church. How do we measure up? As Tim and Keith shared, we were faced with a lot of challenges. Eh, Let's not say a lot of challenges. We could say a lot if we look at each one of us because we're all sinful people. But challenges. Um, We're worshiping today in a building we don't even own. Uh, But praise God, it's sold. Um, In a few months, we're going to transition to a, a new building. A beautiful building. And we're without a senior pastor, we think. And more than likely, um, if Matt, if the calling to Wisconsin goes through as as Matt has believed it will, um, will, that's where we'll be. And these are scenarios that could be, you know, really they could drag us down or they could really unite us and lift us up. They're things that we are not going to figure out on our own. They're things that we're going to need him. And so um, 
just as Paul's main objective in these opening statements to the Philippians is encouraging the unity in the faith and service of one another, calling them to live out their life in Christ by living in unity. If we back up just uh, into first, the first chapter of Philippians in verses 15 through 17, Paul talks about some who preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. He states that the latter do it out of love. Love for Jesus, love for his church, and love for the lost. In another text in, the, in uh, Scripture, 2 Peter chapters 1 through 1, 7 through 8 calls us to be, in godly qualities, calls us to be increasing in measure. Verse 7 calls us specifically to adding to godliness with brotherly affection and to brotherly affection add love. If these qualities are yours, he goes on to say, and are increasing in measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So bottom line, if godly qualities are not increasing in us individually, we can't expect them to be in a church. We are the church. Paul does not say either that I should be increasing, but rather it's the godly character traits in me and in this church that should be increasing. And as our blue bracelet said a few years ago, he must increase, I must decrease. And this, this isn't something profound or new that I'm sharing with you today. But I think we need to be wise in how we take stock of what's going on inside of each one of our lives, inside of our hearts, our souls. We cannot be unified in an imperfect church with imperfect people while we're in a daily spiritual battle of our own if we are not keeping our eyes on him and if we are not unified. We have to, we have to realize that it starts individually with us if we want it to be for a church. So what are some key points of instruction that we can glean from this text? The first thing I see, we need to eliminate selfishness. Verse 3 says, Do nothing out of robbery or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Really. Thinking more highly of others than we think of ourselves, that's not the normal way of thinking in America. And if we're honest, we fall into the category all way too often of putting our first, our first way first. Uh, it's all about me. And I'm reminded of a slogan back in the 70s that said, um, it was a bumper sticker. And I even had one on my truck that read, why try harder? I'm number one. <laughs> While we all laugh at that now, really, um, I kind of lived that way and I thought that way. And selfishness has a way of multiplying rather quickly in our lives when we start to think that way. And it takes over. I just think we can fall way too easily to pray to, if, if we're left to our, myself, if I'm left to myself, and I believe any of us, 
in the flesh, the side that is bent towards his ability and temporary pleasure. It's just our human nature. Ephesians 5.21 encourages us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And Paul goes on to say, again, many times throughout Scripture, but in Galatians especially, uh, chapter 5.26, just after he's done explaining the fruits of the Spirit, that we must not become conceited, provoking or envying one another. So this alone challenges us to consider the areas in our personal lives where we may need some guidelines set to help keep us in line. Let's call them margins that cultivate humility. Excuse me. So what are these giants, these biggies that you have that tend to creep into your life all too often in this area where you, you sense you may be in rivalry? and envy of others. Where are they? Personally, I think it's far easier for this to happen today with all the social media we have, the advertising. We're caught in this this goofy comparison mindset that tends to measure what we have against the glamour of perfection the media presents. It can consume us if we're if, if we spend much time on it at all. It can overcome us with everything being about me and making sure that others know it. Oh, how God wants us to have a clean and a pure heart. One that he has all the room in to move freely and has full rights to all capacity of it. He wants to increase in us and he wants to fill us. Psalm 51. Specifically, verse 17 is a great verse that describes the heart that God revives. It says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou will not despise. A number of us, quite a few years back, did a study on this verse while we were in another country. And we found such contrasts. To name a few... Proud people focus on the failures of others, while broken people are overwhelmed with a sense of their own spiritual need. Proud people are self-righteous. They look down on others. Broken people esteem all others better than themselves. Proud people desire to be served. They have an attitude of entitlement. We hear that a lot. Broken people deserve nothing and are motivated to serve others. Proud people find it difficult to share their spiritual needs with others. Broken people are willing to be open and transparent with others as God directs. Let's determine with all our energy to eliminate the areas of prideful selfishness.
Second point, submission. Specifically, being subject to Christ. Putting aside personal desires and practices and reaching for the higher standard of Christ goes hand in hand with attempting to eliminate selfishness. The Word of God has to be a higher standard for everything, not just some of the areas that feel good, that are easy, and that seem right and acceptable for the culture that we live in. The Word of God proclaimed and practiced in His church has to be the final and highest point of truth for any culture. I think we can all reflect back, I can, for five decades, how America has gone through many shifts in thinking. From non-acceptance to acceptance and back again. Everything from drug and alcohol use in the 60s to gay rights. We've gone back and forth. What's, what's acceptable? Cultural patterns continue to repeat themselves in broken families and increasing numbers of wayward people who once upon a time called themselves a Christian, are prime examples of those who either determined um, that they no longer needed God or simply lost their battle with personal integrity and purity. We cannot, we must fight against and resist against being caught up in that when it comes to the unchanging truths of the written word. And I'm grateful that this church has continued to be there and the leadership of this church over these decades has been, that has been a focal point, a key element that we will stand firm on the word of God. And these, otherwise these slippery slopes tend to sneak up on us and as Romans 1 states, we begin to believe what's right is wrong. And then, bam, what's wrong becomes right. Practically and as simple as I can say it, just as you need food for your physical bodies, you need the spiritual food of God's word daily. Or you will be weak and you'll be vulnerable in your souls. And when we're not strong individually in resisting the cultural shifts in in thinking, you can bet that this church will soon follow. Stay in the word. The third point I want to address today is this just this whole idea of the servant heart and serving others. In our text today, from verse 3, Paul says, instead of selfish ambition, there's humility, and instead of conceit, there's service to one another. And this all leads to unity throughout the church because believers who rid themselves of some selfishness who submit to the authority of Christ and serve one another will quickly be focusing on one goal. And as the second verse states, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And if you look at this, these these phrases are tied together so quickly that it seems they happen simultaneously. Examples, if we consider a couple of people that we're very familiar with in Scripture, 
transform lives when Paul was converted as well as Zacchaeus. Both times. It was a rapid transformation and it's a beautiful picture of what James 2.18 says that show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Both of these men were, in our opinions, radically changed overnight and are great examples of showing their faith by their works, what they gave up and what they did. Consider Jesus. He gave up everything to become nothing. The one who had every right to be served, served others. And as a result, he was exalted to the highest place in all creation. Scripture tells us when believers choose to serve, they too are. Jesus said the last will become the first. And by far our greatest leaders, those who have left an undeniable godly legacy, have been servants. And even in our world, the most successful companies are those who have found that putting the customer first was the key to their success. Even at Elam, part of our leadership structure has deacons who key people. I'm grateful for our deacons. They oversee the council activities of ministry. But it should be noted that the Greek word for deacon is diakonos. Diakonos. I think I, I, think I got that right. Thank you, Google which means servant, and in the Greek world, they were the lowest level of servants. So how can we start this year in a way that keeps us active in our calling of Jesus' great commission and keeps Jesus as the cornerstone of this church, soon to be Highland? Thank you, worship team, Adam, for the cornerstone today. and for all your songs. What's the application from all this? Number one, incorporate prayer into your life. It's our intimate connection with the one who created us and knows us best. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Second thing, read scripture. And I would add, meditate on it. The spirit within us, our soul needs the food. It's God's unchanging love letters to us. And it shows us and describes to us who he is and how much he loves us. And we all need those reminders. Thirdly, identify an area to serve in his church. This is where we show our faith by our works within the body of believers. And the only way we can be a healthy, attractive, shining light into the future for those who are watching. Our slogan through all of this uh, building has been being a shining light. A light into the future. If we're going to be a part of transforming lives, those who come through here, those we meet on the street, those who are in our schools during the week, We've got to have God's word alive in us and we have to be living out our faith. 
in conclusion, the call to follow Christ in a way that shows him honor and glory in our walks is not an easy journey. But I'm confident it's far easier traveling with him than without him. And with the grace available for each day, we recognize that God's grace is God acting in us to do good works. Just like it was in Paul when he wrote in Philippians in the second chapter, 12 and 13, by the grace of God, I worked harder than any of them. He goes on to say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. trembling. And then he adds, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we know that grace is power from God to do good things in us and for us. If you're like me, you look back at the response for this past year and how God has worked in your life and the things that he's allowed you to overcome and even for the things that you didn't overcome. This past year's grace, as we look at it, should be thankfulness. And our response to the grace promised for this next year should be confident, all-assuring faith, laden with much mercy from God. That much we know and we can be assured of. Let's do this well in 2020. Let's press on, brothers and sisters, with our eyes on Jesus, eagerly waiting for his return. Let's pray. Oh, Father, as we look ahead to this, this new year, we recognize the challenges. Oh, there, there are many, both as a church and in our own lives. But the all-assuring companionship of you beside us, God, gives us great joy for the journey ahead. May you provide, Lord, the, the, the strength, the wisdom that we need, and the overflowing love from within us as we minister to a watching lost world around us. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray all this.